today on Lawyers Rising. When you leave a law firm, your skills a lot of times will deteriorate because you won't be working on the most sophisticated matter. She'll be doing a lot of rote things. Why lawyers with five years experience are in serious trouble. Hello and welcome. I'm joined today by three members of the BCG attorney search team. Karen Wenzel is a legal recruiter. Bree Mills is recruiting manager. And Harrison Barnes is the chief executive and managing director. Hello to you all. Good morning. So today we're going to talk about why in that five-year period of your career, you are in serious trouble, which is maybe not what most attorneys probably think they are or believe that they're in trouble. Um, They've gone through law school, they've passed the bar, they've had a somewhat successful five-year career. But let's talk a little bit more about sort of the premise of this conversation, about why that five years of experience may not be enough to uh, to secure your future. Karen, can you talk a little bit more about why this is such a, I guess, a risky time in an attorney's career? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I think the most important thing to understand is that, you know, an attorney's job out of law school is to get into the best firm they can, prove themselves, learn as much as they can about their craft, uh, learn from the best, show that they have the work ethic to do the work and become a great attorney. But once you start getting to that five, six, seven year mark as an associate, that's not the most important thing that you can do anymore. At that point, you're starting to look at partnership track um, and, and making partner at a firm. And the number one job of partners is to generate business and bring clients into the firm. And so I think sometimes attorneys come out of school and they work so hard and they do a great job at sort of that their first job out of school, but they don't make that transition, that shift that they need to start making around that five, six, seven year mark. Um, to really be thinking about that next stage of their career and that next phase of their career. And the reality is, is that firms want attorneys who are at that level to be doing that. That's what they're supposed to be doing. That's the sign and hallmark of somebody who's going to continue to be successful. And so if you're not able to show that you're going to pivot and and do that, um, many, many law firms are going to start having concerns over the future of your career, both your own firm, you know, if if they're not going to make you partner. And then if you decide you want to make a lateral move, um, those are going to be the kinds of questions that any future job is going to is going to ask. And and so we see that all the time with really, really stellar candidates at that at that sort of pivot point in their career. Harrison or Bree, do young attorneys that have about five years in under their belt, do they get a kind of sense of uh, false confidence at this point in the career that uh, can really derail them later on? I think so. I mean, uh, law firms, a lot of times will, you know, an attorney becomes profitable after they have, uh, you know, maybe two years of experience uh, because they kind of know what they're doing. They the Law firms don't have to write off their time. And um, in some cases, an attorney can be profitable with more than five years of experience and they can continue using them you know, for as long as uh, you know, 10 years sometimes even. But once an attorney has about five years of experience, uh, you know, that, that they really shouldn't be that confident. Um, the, the main issue is, is that their billing rate is competitive with partners and, uh, and a partner will make a lot more money if a partner does the work themselves generally than if they give it to the um, a senior associate. And so when work slows down, if there's not, a work, not enough work for the senior associate, then they'll, they'll often be the first to go. And they do not have a lot of security because um, you just have to remember that they're competitive um, anywhere they go with uh, other senior, with, with um, partners for work because um, the partners want to do work. So they're, they're competitive with partners for work. So the law firm has to have a lot of work that it could give them. And in addition to being competitive with partners for work, they're also coming in in a situation where there's other people competing to be partner at a law firm. 
there's just a lot of challenges, um, you know, for, for someone to be, you know, a senior associate without any business. Because if they don't have business, they're, they really don't have any employment security. Okay, let's talk about some of the options that an attorney with uh, you know, somewhere between five and seven years experience without a lot of work coming in, what options they have. Um, Harrison, you prepared a list for us, seven different options. Uh, I'd like to kind of go through them in turn, starting with go in-house. This is uh, maybe the easiest and, and most obvious option maybe for an attorney in this position. Uh, Karen Breer-Harrison, I'll leave it uh, to you. Can you describe a little bit more about why going in-house might be the uh, best choice? Karen actually went in-house. So maybe Karen, um, you want to talk about your decision to do that and how that came about? Absolutely. Well, and so I wasn't exactly in this in this particular position we're talking about. I went in-house after about two years at a law firm. Um, I had worked in corporate America prior to going to law school and had sort of had this idea that that was going to be my future career path um, and didn't plan on staying at a firm long term regardless. But I will say um, I talked to plenty of candidates all day, every day who are in this position and they think in-house is the way to go. I mean, obviously, the number one allure for types the types of candidates we're talking about right now going in houses you don't have to have business um, your client is your you know your employer is your client you have internal clients and there's this idea that hey I get to do a do sophisticated work and I don't have to ever worry about drumming up business on my own I don't have to pound the pavement um, and get out there and I'm gonna have all this job security and and do great work and I'm gonna have a better work-life balance and all this stuff um, I think you know here uh, as recruiters at BCG obviously you know myself included we know plenty of great lawyers who've gone in-house and, and have plenty of examples of, of wonderful experiences but there's it's also um, there are plenty of cautionary tales about that and I think some attorneys think you know who are at that fifth sixth year mark they think well rather than you know, put the time in and kind of start focusing on partnership and, and doing what my firm might want me to do, which is build up a, a book of business. I'm just going to jump off the track and, and head in-house and it's going to make all this pressure go away. Uh, and it's not necessarily true. I mean, for one thing, if you do jump off the track, you almost can never get back on. So that's something to always think about if you are if you head to your new client. And by the way, you only have one client now rather than a multitude of clients, some of whom you might love, some of whom you might not love. But you know, at least you have a lot of variety in, in that when you're at a law firm. But once you head in-house, your company is your one client and um, you can't get away from that whether you want to or not. So I think some people think... Um, that they're going to have plenty of, you know, security and not have to worry about um, their own business once they go in house. But the fact of the matter is that uh, attorneys are cost centers in companies, inside of companies, and in house. And so your job is not always secure there either. Um, oftentimes you are going to be doing uh, less sophisticated work. You might be asked to do a lot more. Um, different kind of work than you might have been used to or built up an expertise in at at your law firm. Um, and it's also it's it's one of those things where again, like I said, it, if you ever want to return um, into private practice, it can be seen as a real um, it can be seen as a detriment to have gone in house and kind of again jumped off that track of upward progression. Maybe seen as you weren't willing to kind of give it give it your best shot and and put in the time and be committed and and have that motivation and ambition of upward mobility in private practice. And so. Um, it, it can definitely work out well for, for attorneys that do it and find a client, uh, you know, internal client that they love in-house. 
Um, but I think some people make the decision too quickly when they're maybe struggling or worrying about building up that book of business at that pivot point when, um, you know, they could otherwise find some great mentors or, uh, you know, work through and stick at it at their firm or, or in another opportunity at a firm where maybe there's less rate pressure. The firm might be more excited about smaller types of clients you could bring in or what have you, um, rather than thinking that in-house is kind of the, the only way to go. You know, the, the other thing about going in-house too, that that's a little bit dangerous that a lot of attorneys don't think, even with like five years of experience is, you know, you need to remember that kind of the whole point of being a lawyer is you get, you get a license from the government, you know, or the from the bar. And, um, and that allows you to go out and, and, you know, run a business essentially. And um, the problem with going in house, I think, and, and one of the major problems is that once you um, do go in house, like Aaron said, you can't really go back. But um, the other thing is, if, if you go in house as a very young attorney, like five, six years, and you're not a partner, if you ever want to get a job, like in a, a large corporation, like when you hear about attorneys, you know, making millions of dollars a year as general counsel and so forth, a company, almost all those people that get those jobs have come into them as partners from, you know, big law firms or decent sized law firms. You typically, you know, if you come in, go in house very early in the game, you're almost always not going to be able to be a general counsel in a company. I mean, it certainly will happen, but it's very difficult. Another thing that happens, especially if you're very um, specialized in your practice area, is if you lose your job, it's going to be very, very difficult for you to find a job. I know attorneys at major New York law firms, you know, Sullivan and Cromwell, places along those lines that may spend years trying to find an in-house job when they're young and very employable in a major law firm. And, and then when they finally find one, they're very happy. But when they lose their jobs, just imagine it took them several years to find an in-house job when they were employed in a, in a law firm and had very good skills. And when you leave a law firm, you know, your skills a lot of times will deteriorate because you won't be working on the most sophisticated matters. You'll be doing a lot of rote things. And um, when uh, companies leave people off aggressively all the time, um, even large companies, because um, they're always restructuring to be more profitable. Um, and you're also a cost center in house. So it's just, you know, there's, we certainly have talked about this in other podcasts, but it's, uh, you know, that particular decision is a very risky one. And, and, um, you know, I think the next thing we're going to talk about here is getting more business. I mean, that to me seems like if your problem is you're worried about losing your job because you don't have any business, you know, you might as well just look at the problem for what it is and see if there's a way to address it. Well, that's a perfect segue. Let's talk about it. You, you're, you've been in a law firm for five to seven years. You don't have a lot of business, which makes you a liability. So I guess the only option or one of the options is to get more business. I suppose that's easier said than done. Um, I'll just open it up to everyone. What are the steps you can take to try and get more business to ensure that, well, you don't get fired? You know, I think one one thing that's important to remember for attorneys in this position is that you know, you might think that any business you might bring in is small potatoes, especially if you're at a larger firm, if you have high rates, if you're doing tons of sophisticated work, institutional clients, um, you might think, yeah, well, I got, you know, this friend over here who's starting his own company or I, I you know, have some kind of spinoff tangential work I might be able to bring in somewhere, but no one's really going to care about that. I think that's short-sighted, and I think if you talked with a mentor and advocate that you had within the firm about your concerns, but showed them and illustrated to them via the conversation that you know you're taking this seriously and you want to start building your book, and these are some inroads to do that, that they're going to really appreciate that. You know, um, 
the fact that you're investing time thinking about it, that you're having conversations and look for ways to help you help you establish those relationships, you know, alternative fee arrangements, um, you know, maybe certain types of rates or other associates that can be on the file with you who are going to bill at a lower rate if they, if there's, you know, some different subject matter expertise needed. Um, so I think making sure you understand that you, you likely do have more support internally than you might think you do um, to build your own book of business as an associate, maybe at that lower level and with smaller clients. Um, another thing that's talked about later in, in, in Harrison's article is just uh latching on to the to the partners that do that are the rainmakers and do have you know great books of business um, because the more you do great work for them and the more that you uh, prove to them that you know you're you're an awesome attorney and you want to make it happen at the firm the more they might you know kind of throw some breadcrumbs down your way and help you get in touch with um, their own clients and maybe, you know, friends of their clients establish those relationships that can lead to additional referral sources and that kind of thing. So those are a couple ways I think um, that you can sort of move forward in, in building your own book of business and feeling confident about it, even if you're at a large firm with a lot of institutional clients. Well, you mentioned something there, Karen, that I found interesting that, you know, if you're at a firm uh, there where one of the partners is getting tons of business, then obviously you want to gravitate towards that person in the hopes that uh, you will uh, get, as you say, some of those breadcrumbs. That seems fairly obvious to me, but the fact that you kind of have to outline this to people suggests that maybe it's not very obvious or perhaps they don't know how to maneuver. It's very, it's kind of difficult to speak in generalized terms about how to develop those relationships. But again, I'll just open it up to everyone. What are some tips that you can give people to uh, try and develop those relationships with the successful partners to ensure that you become indispensable? Yeah. So in in terms of getting more business, I mean, um, when I was an associate, I think I had, even when I was a second associate, I was able to you know, get two or three hundred thousand dollars worth of business as a second year associate, and I and I really didn't find it too difficult. I mean, it was at a different time, but what happened to me was, you know, if you first of all, if you put yourself out there as an attorney, and everyone knows you're an attorney, and everyone knows that you take the kind of stuff you do seriously. Like a lot of attorneys are very kind of negative about being a, being an attorney, and they talk to their friends in negative ways about it. But I was always very enthusiastic publicly. Like I always talked about how much I like being an attorney and I talked to people about it. And I started getting referrals from, you know, actually friends of mine, um, you know, just doing small projects for their companies and they knew people and gave me small projects. But just being very positive about what you're doing publicly with people is, is important. And then the other thing that's important too is like a lot of times an attorney will be at a major law firm. So they'll be at you know, um, Sidley and Austin, um, or a major law firm where the law firms kind of only want um, large clients. And uh, if a law firm only wants large clients, then maybe that's not the right law firm for you. You know, you can make partner in a big law firm like Sidley and Austin, and you know, without any business. I mean, they might pay you eight hundred thousand dollars a year. I mean, it's true. Or Paul Hastings, or a lot of these firms, you can eight hundred fifty thousand without with no business. Um, but, um, there's never stability in those, those jobs. I mean, they'll always, you know, they'll always let you go. Um, I have one Canada right now that was a, a litigator at Sidley and Austin and she made partner there without any business and, um, was making $850,000 a year. Then she took an in-house job and was making, um, after she lost her job and was making, you know, maybe $180,000 a year. And now she's willing to take anything paying more than 120 in New York City. So you can kind of get a sense that, you know, even if you make partner in these firms, 
you know, you're, it, it's very, very dangerous. And I see that sort of thing all the time. So you really need to constantly be generating business. And you're, the best thing you could do, in my opinion, is, is a lot of times just to go to, you know, uh, like a smaller firm, um, you know, if you don't feel like there's going to be long-term stability. So once, once you have, um, you know, a lot of business, um, uh, you know, then, you know, then you have the ability to kind of control your career because people are constantly giving you work and you're not dependent upon one firm or a company if you go in-house to get work. And, um, you know, so having as much work as possible is very important. Karen or Bree, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I just wanted to uh, touch on a point that Karen made about sort of thinking about you have some small potato clients and you maybe don't want to bring them in. It's not that big, you know, multi-million dollar case that you your law firm might be expecting. But a lot of times I have heard from law firm partners directly that they just want to see that you can, that you have the chops to build business. So it's kind of just about building momentum and bringing that first client in because law firm partners will see that as that you have the ability to close business and bring business in. So it's not necessarily being you know, that you're bringing in a huge client. And, you know, sometimes you can even bring in clients. One thing that is true at big firms is that often you can bring in some smaller matters for corporate clients. The litigation matters are harder to land because you have to have sort of general counsel contacts with with the, the company that has the huge multi, you know, bet the business kind of litigation. But you could be somebody who brings in, you know, you might be a litigator, but you could bring in a matter for the corporate team. And maybe it's not something that you work on, but you have that contact and you can bring them in. And you're just showing the people who make the decisions that you're somebody who can step up to the plate and do this, this work and get the get the business. Well, one thing that you know, that that I think is important to a lot of attorneys that get business do is they, you know, they write articles, and they go out and they give talks and so forth, um, you know, about various legal matters, and then that ends up generating business. And I, I'm just thinking to myself, like when I, I hired a litigation, a litigator once, um, uh, a litigation firm to do some work and it ended up, you know, being, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees. And the reason that I hired that particular attorney was because the attorney had written an article kind of about an obscure legal matter um, that my case was about. And so, you know, attorneys that, you know, if you put a certain percentage of your time, um, you know, into trying to generate leads like 20% or something like that. Um, you're, you're going to be more likely to, um, and that's probably quite a bit, even 5% would be a lot, um, but you're going to be much more likely to be able to, to get business. And a couple, you know, small things I just wanted to add is I remember um, like John Quinn that, um, you know, I, I started a firm called Quinn Emanuel and there were like maybe 40 attorneys there. And um, and now that firm, I mean, does over a billion dollars in revenue and it's just this, this giant powerhouse. But John Quinn was the type of person that, you know, there's there's different types of attorneys out there, but when he would meet people in the legal community, he would tell them, you know, if, if you give me this case, I'm going to eat, sleep and drink and, you know, think nothing about it, um, you know, all the time. And, you know, and and he meant it, you know, and, um, you know, and even in, um, and I was talking to another attorney I know, and even, you know, when he did take the cases, I mean, he, he would do that and he would, you know, take, you know, stimulants and stuff, I guess, if he needed to, according to an attorney I know. And I, and I don't say that in a negative way. I just think he's doing everything he can and he believes in it. So if you can kind of communicate that to um, potential clients and people believe that you're very enthusiastic, you're going to do well. And if you're out there and you're, you know, doing things like we're doing, like, you know, we're doing podcasts and I write articles and because we're enthusiastic about the subject matter, if you're enthusiastic about your subject matter and it, and it comes across, then people are going to want to hire you because, Many attorneys are just kind of blasé and blah, and um, 
you know, but if you really believe in what you're doing um, and you're, you're out there in the legal community, then people, you know, more people are going to want to hire you. Bree, did you want to jump in there? Yeah, I just wanted to add to the point about kind of creating articles and, and driving people to use on a specific legal matter. I mean, my husband um, is now a solo practitioner, but when he was at a big firm, he wrote a case on a piece on asset forfeiture, which is a very niche thing. And he is still getting contacted about that, about something he wrote, you know, five years ago, because he was able to find a niche that not that many people know about and dig into that piece of law and really understand that. So setting yourself apart, finding sort of gaps in the marketplace of like, what is an issue that people are encountering that there's not a lot of literature out there about, that could be a really great way to find yourself a niche and kind of have a a constant faucet of candidate of people coming to you for help in that particular subject area. So I really like that idea, Harrison, of, of, you know, putting yourself out there as an expert. I mean, that's people want to go to the expert on something and nobody's going to know that you're the expert unless you have the goods to back it up. Right. Like an example would be like, um, you know, like, um, you know, I met an attorney once that I know that got this big case uh, representing, um, longshoremen suing for overtime in Long Beach. And, um, and, um, and it was funny cause I went to him to ask him to represent me in something. And, um, he, he'd just gotten a, like a $30 million verdict or something. And he said, I'm sorry, but you know, I'm done. I'm retiring. <laughs> you know, he's making $10 million or whatever from this big case. Um, and, um, uh, but he had gotten that case because he had, um, written a series of articles, you know, about this kind of stuff. And, um, someone had found it and he'd done it like he'd written it. He's kind of a folksy type guy and he'd written them in a folksy way. So someone from a, you know, a union or somebody found him and, um, and that ended up helping him. So, you know, if you, if you're really, you know, everything you work on as an attorney, you know, if it, if I was practicing, I would think, you know, whatever type of case I worked on, I would, I would do something, I would write something about it. Like, you know, and I would, I would put something out there like, you know, um, and, um, for people to see and, um, and just, you know, communicate my enthusiasm for the subject matter. Because if you do that, like you said, I mean, your husband's still getting work. And so that, that to me is, is something that you do. I mean, the difference between, you know, someone that's just like a me too attorney and, and goes into work and someone that, you know, is enthusiastic is huge. And think about what you would want if you had a, a legal issue. Another option that people will have when they're in this kind of precarious position inside of a firm is is basically to move on to find a healthy law firm. And I mean, this is specifically related to your skill set, guys, and about what you do on a daily basis. Karen, can you talk about moving from a firm that's struggling to find business to one that's more healthy, how you do that, what the options are um, that you have out there in the marketplace? Sure. Well, what I liked um, that Harrison said in the article on this point as well is that different, you know, there are different uh, definitions of healthy and there are different practice areas that are healthy in different times, you know, in in the economy and different times in history, right? So when the economy is doing really well, uh, corporate work is highly in demand. Expertise in corporate work is highly in demand. Um, maybe when the economy is on a downswing, there's there's more, uh, you know, litigation. People are more litigious, and that might be where the work is at. And so I think part of the idea is 
um, paying attention to what's going on in the market and then geography wise too, where where are firms doing the work that you've gained an expertise in or that you might have a particular um, interest in and focusing on those as being potentially, you know, quote unquote, healthier opportunities for you if you don't have a book of business and you're at this, this point in your career. Um, right now, you know, attorneys who are five to 10 years out, uh, but have really great, you know, corporate M&A securities, real estate experience are finding lateral opportunities because there's just tons of that work going on at a lot of big and medium size and small firms. And so even without your own portable business, um, a lot of them are going to are going to be looking for that skill set. That's not always the case, but paying attention and recognizing when that is the case and when those might be opportune times for you to make a move um, is really important. Similarly, you know, geography wise, figuring out where that work is being done. Uh, maybe smaller regional markets have a higher demand for somebody with a niche or unique skill set or a broad skill set that, you know, might be kind of um, ubiquitous in a larger market. But if you're looking for another opportunity and you don't have a book of business making a geographic move, you know, you could be a big fish in a small pond with some experience and expertise to service clients there, even if they're not your own. Uh, where in your existing market, that may not be the case. Yeah, I agree with that. And, um, you know, one of the things that uh, has always been interesting to me is um, during recessions, uh, a lot of times um, our recruiters in certain markets will do much better. Um, I remember during the last recession, um, uh, the recruiters that we had in Chicago actually had a better year, um, you know, in 2008, 9, and 10 than they'd had in 2007. Um, and the reason for that is what they were doing is they were sending uh, their candidates to um, other markets. And so, you know, if someone was laid off in Chicago with very good skills, they would send them to um, the suburbs of Chicago or to, you know, um, you know, a smaller market like Indianapolis or something. Because what happens, um, you know, in, in recessions, but it, it also applies to attorneys in all different types of practice areas, is instead of using large expensive firms for their legal work, a lot of times, um, the work will go to smaller firms, uh, you know, that are that are cheaper. And, um, you know, and the other thing, too, about finding a health is I had um, I've had candidates before that are that are, you know, laid off or, or want to look at the, the whole country. And when you look at the whole country, like she said, there's just different um, markets. I mean, you can be a partner in some in some you know markets without any um, business. I mean, I have like one example would be like I have ERISA attorneys all the time that don't have any business. And there's always firms that are willing to hire that have big, you know, have a couple of big clients that are ERISA and they always need a senior person like a partner to manage the business. And then there's always firms that even for litigators in different parts of the country, Orange County is one of them and uh, California that um, are happy to hire senior litigators because they have so much work. They just need people to run run the cases or there's people you know, for all, almost all practice areas, you know, a, a sophisticated corporate attorney that knows how to, you know, do bonds and so forth could be in demand. I've got one now, I think, interviewing in Omaha, you know, so there's just, you know, you, you have to, you know, the, the objective of an attorney is to go out always and to try to find as much work as possible. And there's always going to be firms um, that need uh, people without any business. The problem is, um, and I've placed a lot of people, for example, in Detroit, like very sophisticated corporate attorneys. Um, the same thing goes with IP attorneys. If an IP attorney looks all over the country. So pretty much every practice area, um, you know, is going to be something where, uh, you know, you can, you can find additional work. Uh, 
you know, if you, even if you're senior, if you're willing to look, the issue is you have to be, you know, geographically flexible and, you know, and, and attorneys, a lot of times will get settled in a, in a certain area, but I mean, that's, you know, it's what you chose to do as being an attorney. And so if you, if you chose that as a profession, you have to realize that you're probably going to have to relocate, um, you know, and make that a condition of your employment. You may have to relocate if you're in-house, if you want to be in-house, or you may have to relocate um, to stay employed. So I tell everyone to, you know, make sure you're looking at as many geographic areas as possible, because if you don't, you know, you're making a huge mistake. Bree, can it be difficult to convince your clients to be able to to move, to go to another part of the country if they just not, aren't getting enough work where they are currently? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, there are many, many different reasons why people choose to live and work, you know, in the regions and that they do um, family, kids, you know, um, where they went to law school, professional connections, and, and all those kinds of things. But I think, I think one of our jobs as recruiters, and, and the fact is, it's just true. So we, you know, to convey it in a, in an honest and genuine way is that, um, is to really expose these candidates to the opportunities they're missing out on if they're not considering other markets and reflect the fact that, um, hey, there really is a lot of demand if, if you would look in these different territories. Um, I think sometimes people, you know, they have tunnel vision and they're seeing what they're seeing in their current market and they just believe that's the case everywhere. Um, and, and it's just not true. So the more you can, you know, and w- once you find somebody a possible opportunity or an inroad for a dialogue or a conversation elsewhere, they start realizing that, you know, that you're right and, and that, you know, success breeds, breeds on itself. Um, but yeah, so I mean, sometimes we talk to candidates and for, for whatever reason, they're, they're not going to be open to looking elsewhere. But I think, you know, the more open someone can be and the more opportunities they're going to see and the more excited they, they're going to end up being about, um, about the possibilities in a, in a greater geographical landscape. Another option is to look inside your law firm to try and generate more business. And, and that really demands finding an advocate, someone that you can uh, basically become friendly with, that can provide you with more uh, opportunity inside the firm. Again, kind of easier said than done, but I'll leave it to everyone um, to kind of pick it up. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, I think the part about, I guess what I took away from from this point as well is in addition to kind of what I mentioned earlier about working with a rainmaker and they can show you how it's done and maybe there'll be some trickle down to make your, you know, to start developing your own book of business, to have those relationships with offshoots and um, referral sources and that kind of thing. Uh, but I think, you know, what at least what I think is another valid point on this um, part of the article is that if you're in that position at five, six, seven years out, you don't have a book of business, you're wondering, you know, if your job's going to be stable, latching on to those, those rainmakers, those attorneys who have like loads and loads of business, if you can get one of those to, to love you and find you indispensable, even as their right hand man, even if you don't develop your own, you know, your own book of business in your own name, sometimes those people are going to bring you along for the ride for decades. I mean, I've seen it happen with, you know, whole groups of associates and a partner, um, certainly administrative staff, you know, partners who are rainmakers who are going to bring business elsewhere, always get to bring along their assistants, their paralegals that they love, like they have the people that they want to do their work. And so it can be an avenue uh, for job security over time, even if you don't have, you know, you didn't do the step we talked about earlier, which is build your own, your own book of business. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, um, you know, and this and getting an advocate for yourself is really, especially if you're in a big firm, if you're in a big firm, 
with uh, lots of you know with lots of business um, where it's very difficult to uh, you know to bring in clients because you need to bring in kind of major clients that are willing to bill a lot of money. Um, that's that's going to be um, you know your best best bet. And you know in some major firms, I mean, there's partners with you know five, ten million or more in business, and so um, being very close to them. Um, is is really the smartest thing you can do because if you if they if they're your advocate and they're pushing for you, um, you know then the law firm is not going to let them doesn't want to upset them because someone with that much business can go elsewhere. So being very close to those people is is a good move. You know I've seen a lot of people and but at the same time um, I talk to senior associates all the time uh, that um, or even people that became partners um, that that did find an advocate like that and then. Um, when push came to shove, um, the, the attorney may have moved firms or something else, or even problems in the existing firm, they, they let them go. And then it's kind of scary because like I saw it with an international arbitration, um, attorney in Washington, DC that had been a um, attorney with a major New York law firm. And, um, and he had been, you know, for, for, you know, since he'd joined the firm right out of law school and had become very close with a major partner in the firm that had, you know, several million dollars in business. And the guy always told him, you're going to make partner, you're going to make partner, you're going to be partner. And then he got to be like, you know, a 10th year. And then one day they just told him, um, you know, there's just no opportunity for you here. It's not your fault. It's the management. And so the partner, and then they let him go. And he actually, I found him a job uh, overseas, but he actually became a, um, a bartender for a while, um, for a couple of years. Um, cause he couldn't find anything. So you just need to be very, um, you know, careful, um, you know, but if there are people that you believe that can help you, you know, getting close to them and being indispensable is, is really one of the best, um, things you can do. It doesn't always work, but I think it's a, it's a, you know, you know, important. And that's what I would recommend, you know, to any, um, you know, junior associate or, um, because you want to be close to the people with partners do work, for example, for service partners or income partners, um, you know, they certainly have a say and they can give you reviews and stuff. But um, if you're doing work for the people with the most business, then that's smart. And you should find out who those people are, um, because regardless of the firm, um, if, you know, one thing um, I remember talking to an attorney uh, recently um, and he, he told me, um, you know, his reasons for leaving and starting his own firm. But he did say, oh, you know, I was going to be up for a partner. And I found, you know, someone that was going to really strongly advocate on my behalf. And, you know, and I, that's just a recent conversation over the past couple of days. And, uh, you know, you need someone that's going to really advocate for you. And the more powerful that person is, the better. It has to be something of a fine line to walk, though, to develop those relationships, um, make yourself indispensable without appearing to be, well, a suck up or a sycophant. Can you talk a little bit about that, about how to negotiate that fine line? Well, yeah, I, I, I think it's just being dependable over the long term. I, I heard of a, you know, sorry to keep coming back to John Quinn, but I um, I know of a guy that made partner there um, at, at Quinn Emanuel, and he just was happened to be on a trial with John Quinn and became completely indispensable and just did an incredible job on the trial. And John Quinn was just blown away by how good the guy was and made him a partner. So, um, you know, it's just being close to powerful people, I think, is important. Um, you know, and the, the way to be indispensable, really, for them is to uh, you know, you want to do very good work for them. Uh, you want to make them feel important. Um, and you want to help them, uh, you know, by making them look good to their clients. And the better you do with that, um, you know, the better off you'll be. You always want to be available. Um, 
you know, enthusiastic. Yeah. So a lot of what we've been talking about today really rests around situational awareness, whether you're in, aware of what's happening inside your firm, what's happening inside the market uh, in your city, or indeed the market around the country. I guess one of the opportunities then for people that are in this kind of precarious position is, is just to wait for a, a healthier economic environment to uh, develop either in their city or elsewhere in the country. Uh, again, I'll leave it to, to everyone um, to kind of jump in on this about how you identify uh, when is a good time to be looking for a move or to, uh, to maybe make a change uh, inside your own firm. And so, you know, on this next point, wait for a healthy economic environment. I guess my my two cents on this one is pretty self-explanatory. Obviously, we kind of already covered it as well, which is that at different times, based on the state of the economy um, nationally, different types of practice areas are going to be more and less in demand. Uh, I think an important thing, and you know, Harrison just gave the example of someone who who worked as a bartender for a couple of years, and it sounds like maybe he landed on his feet somewhere and is practicing again. But I guess I think the important, most one of the most important things, at least in this um, in this context, is while you're waiting out while you're waiting out the market, or if you're kind of thinking, okay, you know, I'm not going to be able to develop business, but I do think my skill set's going to be in demand at one point or another here in the coming five, eight, ten years, is uh, keep working. You know, just keep doing as, as best of a job as you can. Keep a job, keep a lawyer job, you know, don't give up and, and quit because I think we often see candidates who, you know, get scared or spooked or feel that they're getting some criticism because they don't have business or, you know, getting feeling like they're getting pushed out or something like that. And, and they throw in the towel. And I think if you can, you know, truly wait it out while continuing to work as hard as you possibly can, or at least keep your foot on in in any kind of legal job, um, you're going to come out, you're going to have much better odds coming out on the other side. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, you always, um, you know, if, if the, if the environment's not healthy, um, you know, in a healthy economic environment, a more senior person, um, can work, especially if they're in a niche. Um, you know, it's, it's weird how things change. I mean, they can change very, very quickly. Like, you know, litigation, uh, a couple of years ago was, was a really, bad practice area and litigators couldn't find jobs. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that, um, you know, that there were too many litigators because most people went into litigation during the recession. Um, all of a sudden um, that problem was solved. And um, because more, you know, they became senior and kind of those people were gone and then litigation became popular. So a lot of times it's just the, you know, you have to wait for the environment, um, you know, different practice areas are in demand at different points in time. Uh, you know, an example would be trademark law. A trademark um, during a good economy when people are starting businesses and so forth is a very active practice area, um, you know, but unfortunately, um, that's not always the case, uh, you know, so when the market slows down, um, you know, trademark is not a good practice area, um, you know, and there's hardly any trademark jobs in the country. There might be literally like two or three when the market's slow. And then when the market's good, there could be like hundreds, you know, so you, a lot of times you just have to be the right economic environment. Brie, you've probably seen a lot of shifts in the various uh, fields of law in the various parts of the country over time. Can you talk a little bit about that, about how it ebbs and flows and about how if you one really needs to keep their eye on that market in order to try and, and succeed? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we've, we've covered it pretty much, but I, you know, for example, talking about corporate work being very 
big in uh, good economic times. And then on the other side, bankruptcy all of a sudden heats up um, when the economy starts to crash. So bankruptcy is a, definitely a, a practice area that is either kind of hopping or it's not. Um, and so bankruptcy attorneys definitely have to find a place where they can kind of stay in stasis until they have an opportunity um, to, to make a move because that bankruptcy work can definitely slow down. And tax work we see um, slowing down. We're really not seeing much activity in the tax market right now, but it's starting to, to pick back up again. So I, mean, I think kind of like what Karen said, it's it's just continue to be an asset and, and stay sort of stay in place, stay in place and shelter um, until your practice area is marketable. If you really don't want to be at your firm, um, you really have to wait for, for the economic conditions to be right. Karen, there is probably a more difficult conversation that some uh, an attorney needs to have with themselves if they aren't succeeding at, say, uh, a very successful, high-class, uh, big-city law firm, that maybe they need to consider downgrading somewhat or go out on their own. Can you talk about that, I guess, very honest conversation that some attorneys need to have with themselves? Sure, absolutely. I think one of the most important things to when you're having that conversation with yourself is um is not to couch it in in a completely negative light you know i think you come out of law school every student you know most law students are uh, head into school wanting to succeed you know they're they are motivated ambitious individuals they're excited about this career path that they're choosing and getting a job at the best and brightest and highest paying firm is you know, is like the big ticket, uh, you know, the golden ticket for for everyone, at least in their dreams. And I think the idea that that might not work out for you and you might need to make a change can be a hard pill to swallow at first. But the fact of the matter is there are plenty of attorneys who seek refuge from big law and move into more mid-market firms or even smaller market firms and find that they're, they're, they love it, you know, and that their quality of life might be better. They're the types of clients that they're working with. They might find more meaning, you know, in their work and, and passion in their work. Um, they might be, you know, being able to build their own books of business when they, they hadn't been able to at the, at the larger firm. And so I think just you know, like Harrison talked about earlier too, kind of being positive and thinking about um, a move like that as something exciting and different and something that could really work for your career. I mean, the same would go for, for hanging out a shingle, so to speak, or um, starting your own practice. Obviously, that's incredibly uh, risky as well, but there are plenty of people who find they love being their own bosses. They love picking and choosing which clients they get to work with, which clients they want to work with. Um, if they can find the business. And so um, there are just a lot of positive aspects to making kind of a, a downshift, if you see it that way in your career um, at, a, at a pivot point like this, that could really lead to um, a future in a career that you love for a long time or kind of get you by and get you some more skills um, and experience while you're maybe working your way back up then to a large firm down the road. Well, and the other thing, too, I think that a lot of attorneys, um, you know, don't think about is, uh, you know, that, um, you know, they, they're worried about the, the salaries of large law firms and kind of the presumed prestige of a large law firm. Uh, but they're not necessarily thinking about their future, because if you go to a smaller law firm, you may have a lot more stability. Um, you know, your qualifications may make you a big fish in a small pond. And you may also have may also be a lot easier to, to generate business. So. Um, it's always a good idea to look at, um, you know, smaller law firms and, you know, and smaller law firms, of course, um, you know, all large law firms started out as smaller law firms. So 
one of the smartest things you can do is try to find a firm that looks like it's growing and going in that direction. And they're all over. I mean, they're in, you know, those big law firms are kind of starting, you know, as small law firms all the time. And they're usually pretty easy to spot. They tend to be, you know, comprised of people from that have jumped out of big law firms and are, you know, taking clients with them and, and doing things a little differently, um, you know, and growing. Um, there's just, you know, all sorts of things, you know, reasons that they start. And they're they're very easy to find. They tend to be, you know, they're, they start out as boutiques and then they grow. Um, you know, so an attorney can, you, know, you can always find those types of firms. But the most important thing, really, that an attorney needs to understand, when I work with an attorney, I will always try to get them to um, apply to lots and lots of law firms. And um, because uh, a lot of times, you know, it's a, you know, you just never know um, what's going to be um, the best firm for you or, or how, you know, uh, an individual firm is going to be because um, there's there's all sorts of opportunities that you're just never going to find. Um, one story that I tell quite frequently is I had a girl that was working um, for one of our companies and um, and she was making maybe $20 an hour as a writer. And, um, and, and I, re- and I found out, um, that she had a, um, associate in a major New York law firm, um, several years earlier, and then had stopped practicing law, um, due to some health conditions that the job brought on because it was so stressful. And, um, and they weren't psychological or anything. They were actually real health conditions. And, um, cause she'd been working so hard and, um, so I talked her into applying to some firms and I helped her apply to firms all over the country. And she went to uh, interviewed with a, a small law firm, uh, that was comprised of maybe, uh, uh, you know, four or five people. Um, and it was not in Texas and, uh, you know, which is where she was living at the time. And, um, the firm, uh, after they interviewed her, um, you know, she, she thought the firm seemed too small, the desk and so forth weren't nice. It didn't look like a nice building. And um, she didn't think the law firm would pay very much, even more than the $20 an hour she was making working for me. And um, the firm turned around and, and told her that. And I said, well, how much would the position pay? Because the law firm didn't think she was interested. And they said, well, she would be billing out at $500 an hour. And, um, and you know, all the attorneys that work for us get half of what they bill. You know, so she was literally going to a job that was paying $250 an hour um, with more than 2,000 hours worth of work a year. There's just plenty of work. And, um, you know, so completely changed her life. And it was a small law firm that I didn't even know about. I just knew, you know, that they had, I knew that they had a lot of work in this person's practice area. So, you know, looking at smaller law firms, a lot of times can make a huge difference in your career and you can do very, very well. And, um, you know, so it's important. Yeah. And I think uh, something else that's a big benefit of, especially if you're moving from a big law firm to a smaller law firm, is the referrals that you can get from your colleagues at the big law firm. I mean, endlessly, day in, day out, when you're at a big law firm, emails come around from your colleagues that say, hey, does anybody know a good lawyer who does this? It's a matter that's too small for that big law firm to take on, um, but they are looking for qualified and good attorneys because they're going to be giving a recommendation to their client or their client's friend or something. And so, you know, having those good relationships with that firm, um, being able to move to a smaller firm, all of a sudden you get that waterfall from the bigger firm of, of recommendations and referrals. So, um, you know, you can always, that's a, like a, de- a different way to leverage your qualifications and time at the big firm into, uh, you know, potentially making money down the line at a smaller firm. 
Karen mentioned something that I found uh, interesting. It's probably worth an episode unto itself, which is the decision of whether or not to strike out on your own, to start your own practice. I don't know if we could just go around the horn real quick and just talk a little bit about that, about what what um, factors you need to weigh before you make that very serious decision, or, or indeed maybe why they shouldn't make that very serious decision. Well, I know that, um, Bree, your husband started his own practice, right? Yeah, he did. Um, and it was definitely a big decision and it's a, a very scary thing. And I think what you have to think about first is where you're going to get those clients. Um, because if you don't, there's a, definitely a personality type to starting your own firm and you're a one man shop. So you have to be doing everything yourself. Um, so you have to, and you have to be able to appeal um, you're going to be the point of contact with your client. So you have to be a really good people person, I think is the, the first thing. I mean, my husband is able to engender just a lot of faith in him just because he's he's great talking with people. He inspires a lot of confidence. Um, so you have to have that kind of personality um, and you have to have some idea of where you're going to start with getting business um, and whether that's that you have to figure out what kind of niche you're going to have that's going to be a little bit unique that you can anybody anytime anybody has problem X, they think of you um, and that you continue to to foster those relationships with everybody that you've worked with, that you've worked with at any firms that you've worked with, anybody in your law school um, that you went to law school with, just fostering and maintaining those relationships um, needs to be sort of priority one because you can't just kind of go out there and you know put up a website and hope you're going to get people. It's it's going to be a, a much more of a word of mouth um, thing, and you've got to have the complete confidence to handle a case from top to bottom, um, which a lot of times you know you don't get that full scope of experience when you're at a smaller when you're at a big firm and you're only kind of doing one part of the work. So kind of getting yourself ramped up and to be able to know that you can take this from intake to drafting the complaint if you're like a litigator to doing the trial to doing the, the whole thing and have the confidence to do that. Does anyone else want to jump in on that point before we move on? I mean, I think, well, just for a lot of attorneys, starting your own business is, is a is a very um, smart thing to do, especially uh, like Bree said, if you have a, a good niche, um, you know, um, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, so that's just something um, to think about. Uh, you know, a lot of times attorneys that start their own practices, it's very difficult for them to stay motivated um, because, you know, once you do that, you do have to put in some time, uh, you know, to getting uh, clients. But one thing I would say, um, you know, if, if you um, go out there and you're advertising and you're, you're, you know, putting a lot of effort into getting business, I mean, almost every attorney I know um, that has done open their own practice, if they are sufficiently motivated and trying to bring in business, have, have done very well. I mean, they've, they've all managed to, um, you know, generate clients. So it definitely can be done. And it's not um, you know, a very important thing to do. Um, you know, so, um, I mean, a, a very difficult thing to do. So it's something, uh, you know, that you, you need to look at very carefully and think about, um, you know, if you're interested in it. And generally, if you are, do start your own business, um, there's all sorts of niches you can get into, um, you know, whether it's consumer facing or company facing. Um, a lot of attorneys will go into things that are company facing and, it's, and companies are going to be a lot of times very, um, uh, you know, a little bit reluctant to hire um, an attorney uh, that's right out of, you know, that is, a, um, you know, just a, a solo practitioner. So a lot of times you may need to do things that are um, consumer facing. And, and that's definitely not um, as easy and it's harder to get paid and you'll have to learn a lot of lessons. But 
Um, most attorneys I know that have started their own practices have had uh, good success with it. So, And the cool thing about starting your own practice is that you do have that autonomy and you get to choose your clients, which is just not something you ever have the luxury at a, at a firm when work is just kind of coming down the pike and being assigned to you. I mean, my husband's been able to talk to a potential client on the phone, gets a bad feeling about it and say, you know what, I just, I don't think I trust this guy. I don't want to work with him and he doesn't have to. Um, and I think you can kind of manage your happiness that way too um, when you're not having, because everybody's gotten stuck on a case where you're just like, God, this is just awful. Um, so that, that is a benefit. Um, and then, you know, to be fair, he's, he's got the luxury to, to say no to things. I mean, um, so I, I'm very proud of him. He's done a really great job of being able to build a, a great practice that he loves, but, um, yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot of upside and, and you're your own boss and you're not micromanaged. Um, so there's a lot of freedom, um, for the right kind of personality. I think it's an, an awesome option. There's another difficult conversation that people might have to have with themselves if they aren't generating enough business inside their firm. And that's the decision whether or not just to stop practicing law completely. Harrison, this is something we've spoken about in previous episodes. Um, but, you know, Karen, what are your thoughts about that, about how you weigh this? And again, a very huge decision about maybe this wasn't the right choice for you uh, and maybe you should move on to another career. Absolutely. Well, I think there's a lot of self-reflection that would need to be done at that point. And, you know, we're still talking about attorneys that are in this position of being five, you know, to 10 years out. And what do you do if you don't have a book of business? Where do you go? Um, my thought is, you know, if, if you love what you're doing uh, otherwise, but you're having trouble with the book of business building or you're trying to figure out, you know, how can I how can I make this work so I'm successful in the long run as an attorney? Because I really do like the practice of law. I like the subject matter. You know, I like my colleagues or I can see, you know, another place where I might like to do this type of work. It might not be here, but it'd be somewhere else. I guess my 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 response would be don't you know, don't give up. Uh, don't don't quit the practice of law altogether just because you're in that particular predicament. You know, we've already talked about six other alternatives and options here today. Um, this this seventh kind of idea of actually quitting um, the practice of law, which I I, sh I you know should remind listeners that the three of us on the on the podcast here today have have done. You know, we're not currently practicing, um, and we did in the past. But I would say it, it should be done for other reasons rather than just kind of a you know a career pivot point where you're trying to figure out how to be successful. I think it, it would be require a lot of reflection and introspection on you know what you what you like and what you don't like about being a lawyer and are there other careers that you know wouldn't require like this book of business and some you know maybe all of the other things that you don't like about um, practicing in general. Uh, and I also think that, um, you know, you have to take it seriously as well because you earned the credentials. And as Harrison mentioned, you know, you have a license from the state to be a practicing attorney. Um, and we've talked a lot about how kind of going off the beaten path and leaving that track can make it very, very hard to reenter. And so if you're going to make the decision to move on and, and pursue a different career, obviously, try to find as many ways as possible as you can to feel really confident about that decision, knowing that, you know, it's, it would be really hard to return to practice if you ever wanted. Well, I think if someone's going to quit, I think they kind of know, I mean, um, you know, you, you know, um, you know, based on the fact that you just don't like the work. I mean, if it doesn't excite you, I mean, an attorney is a special kind of breed. I mean, an attorney, um, you know, you're, you're typically, you know, interested in, um, you know, helping other people with problems. And, 
you know, and then troubleshooting and protecting them. And it's just, it's, it's, it's a kind of skill and so forth. It's almost instinctual. And, um, and an attorney, uh, you know, kind of understands uh, that and they want to help other, you know, they want to work for other people and, uh, you know, and, and, and protect them. Uh, it's a, like a protector and a, it's just a certain type of skill. Um, and, and if you don't feel the drive to do that, uh, and you feel that you're more interested in doing other things, uh, you know, then you should, I mean, you can be, attorneys can be writers, they can be politicians, they can do all sorts of things, um, that don't involve practicing law because practicing law ultimately is, you know, it's, it's a very, um, you know, it's just something that either appeals to you or doesn't. And some people get a lot of excitement out of being involved in helping a company with a transaction or litigating a case or something. But, um, you know, other people don't. And if you don't, you know it. I mean, it's not, you know, no one needs to tell you that you have to drop out of practicing law. If there's something you do it. And I talk to attorneys all the time, you know, that um, that would never think of doing anything differently. Um, it's just what they want to do and they're excited about. Um, and I've hired people as recruiters before that I thought would be good. Um, you know, but then there, you know, I can think of one law firm partner I hired once that, um, you know, was an equity partner, not a non-equity partner in a, in a major law firm, became a recruiter and um, was just really naturally driven to being an attorney because he liked, you know, finding fault with things and just he had the personality to do it. So you just have to be, um, you know, you have to have the constitution do it. And I think you know if you do it or you know if you don't. Does anybody else want to add to that point or have any final thoughts before we wrap things up? Yeah, I had one final thing I wanted to bring up, which is um, I think we've talked about a lot of great options when you're at, as Karen calls it, that pivot point in your career, you're at a crossroads and you don't have a lot of business, you're a senior attorney. One mistake that we often see candidates making is that they are maybe five, six, seven years out and they start applying to jobs that require one to two or two to three years of experience. Um, thinking that like, well, I'm willing to get, take the pay for that kind of level of experience, um, even though I actually have more. So like, this law firm should be getting a great deal if they hire me. Um, that is not a good approach. I think we've talked about a lot of different ways to kind of pivot within your career and make that right lateral move where you're still maintaining that level of seniority. Um, it's really not a great move to try to kind of downgrade your level to to a more junior associate level because law firms really don't want that when they want one to two years experience they want that for a reason they want people who are new in their career and hungry and people they could mold so don't try to reposition yourself as being some you know some kind of a great deal and a bargain at this price because that's not how you'll be perceived yeah i completely agree with free and and along those same lines i was going to say something similar um, or tangential, which is just essentially, you know, don't get caught, um, don't get caught flat-footed by this issue, and don't be surprised that it is an issue. I think having your eyes wide open and recognizing that this is the way that firms work and the way they're going to see you at that point in your career is really important. I mean, I can't tell you how many attorneys I speak with who are in that, you know, five, six, seven, eight-year range who are so surprised, you know, that they wouldn't be able to make a lateral move um, either, as Bree said, by kind of taking a haircut on their class level or coming in somewhere else with their level of experience because they think, hey, someone's going to see me as a bargain. I, I have this great background and, and expertise. Um, and so I think just the sooner that you 
recognize that this is what's going to be coming up in your career, you know, sooner than you think it is when you're, you know, first year, second year, third year lawyer, um, just the better, better positioned you're going to be to assess what you're going to do about it and take some of these steps that we've talked about here today. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Danny. My thanks to Karen Wenzel, Bree Mills, and Harrison Barnes. If you're an attorney looking for a change, go to bcgsearch.com.